Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch. I've got my marvelous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Platypus. I, y'all don't understand that before we started recording today, Matt just had a stream of consciousness and words that I'm still not quite sure what's going on, and probably we won't for a while. So instead of making heads or tails of that, we're going to make heads or tails of some of your questions you, our wonderful listeners, have sent to us. If you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure to send those into podcasts at blizzardwatch.com. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can go ahead and drop those on our Discord channel for patron Q and podcast questions. We tend to look there first as a way of saying thank you to those that financially support us and help us keep the site up and running. If you cannot support us on Patreon and still want to submit a question or topic through Discord. You can go ahead and send them into the Q and Podcast Questions channel. In each case, we ask that you do two things. One, tell us what show it's for so that we can make sure that it gets to the right place. And two, if you have a special pronunciation for your name, please make sure you give it to us. And this way hey, we can make sure we announce it correctly. I'm going to just say this. First off, I can actually talk. Normal. Secondly, um, even if you don't have a special pronunciation, Feel free to tell us how to say it anyway, because you never know when something is obvious to most people, but for some reason I'm having trouble with it. So just, just going to put that out yeah. there. It is actually really helpful. Absolutely. Uh, and without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get started with one of our questions from a wonderful Patreon supporter. This is from Arcadus. Uh, question for Lorewatch. Could you please walk us through the Arthasification of Garrosh Hellscream? I just finished reading The Shattering, and it was quite jarring to see the honorable, if sometimes brutal, way Garrosh conducted himself, juxtaposed to the Garrosh we came to know in Mists and Warlords. His ability to maintain a cool head when Cairn storms in falsely accusing him and eventually backhanding him in his throne room was just astounding considering the brutal actions he takes with much less provocation later on. What were the catalyst moments that formed the Avatar of Pride we came to know? 
So we've talked about this a little bit in the past. I think actually we've covered this a, a few times, but Garrosh is a very complicated character. And he didn't have a woman, so nobody understands. Nor was he a songwriter or poet, so he couldn't get it out or express it in any other way. No, uh, in all seriousness, though, he he's a character that is very diverse and often maligned uh, and oftentimes for good reasons. But he's much more complex than, you know, I'm good or I'm bad. Heck, he's more complex than Arthas by a fair chill. Oh, by a, a good margin. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Um there's just the idea of first off there's one thing i want to say before i get into the artist i'm sorry the uh, garage aspect of this question i think one of the reasons he kept his cool was because a living legend was in his throne room screeching at him and then hitting him cairn doesn't do that cairn is infamous for not doing that mm-hmm. the way cairn acted in that moment it was so beyond anything that garage could possibly have expected that that's one like he he literally just had he was like what the f and the two karen could have killed garage with one hand he could have just killed him karen was enormous even for a torrent that was a big big torrent now he was older but as we saw during the magora he hadn't lost much of a step oh we're gonna get to the magora yeah yeah the, the only, there's two reasons Garage walked out of that one alive. Well, one was that Karen didn't want to kill him, and two we'll get into when we talk about the Magora. But, yeah. but that's just something I really want to put out there. Karen, the reason Karen is not around today to tell you this himself is treachery, and not yeah, Garage's treachery. Yeah, there, there's, we're, let's talk about Garage a little bit and his idea of like the worldview, right? And oh, I th- yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good point because that ties into, I think, one of the most famous Garage scenes from before cataclysm is when he's talking to our old friend sorfang now i mean i'm sure we all remember the sorfang garage conversation do you want to go with it or do you want me to talk about it well i was i was going to compare it to something else before we launch into it real quick um garage in general especially in terms of dealing with his his allies at the time before he becomes the avatar of pride reminds me out of a scene from marvel comics uh with civil war where Captain America is beating the ever-loving heck out of the Punisher and keeps yelling at the Punisher, why won't you fight back? Why won't you hit me? And the Punisher says one very simple thing, you're not my enemy. And Garrosh has a very pragmatic view, especially early on with a lot of the, the worldview stuff. And we'll get into the, the conversation here because this feeds into it. Um, is that there are his people that he trusts, there are people that are his enemy, and then there's people that need to be watched. And folks like Cairn are to be trusted. They have been shown and to be honorable over and over and over again. His outburst, while it is exceptionally uh, out of character for Cairn, is something that even if Garrosh were to react to that, he's keeping in mind throughout this entire thing, this is the orc's most staunchest ally. They have stood with orcs since we got here, since we found each other and did our thing. He trusts them more than he trusts trolls. So, of course, he's going to give him a little more leeway because this is out of character for Karen. Karen's emotionally charged, but he's still an ally. If Sylvanas had done that and walked in on him and backhanded him, she would have been hung and quartered because he did not trust her at all, which is very apparent if you do any leveling with him in charge of anything. So, well, yeah. And also, though, it's also worth to point out he would never have accepted a Macgora from her either. No, because he didn't he didn't feel he, she had honor at all. Yeah. No, but Cairn, Cairn is a figure who basically, from the moment he and Thrall hooked up, 
It's like they had, it's like the Torn in a way adopted the orcs. Yeah, they were brothers. They they adopted yeah. each other. They were they family. Like, you know, you you know, you revere your spirits and your ancestors. We revere our spirits and our ancestors. You, you know, view yourself as in, you know, you have a connection to the world around you. We literally are children of the world. Yeah, we totally get you. And I think that I honestly think every time I read that book, and I've read it a couple of times, I think Garash was literally shocked, like shocked by by what was happening. He had no, he did not see it coming, and he's like, "What? Why is why is he so mad? Like, can, can somebody? Like, it's it's not even that he's like. I'm not saying that he was afraid of him. I mean, cautious. You'd be cautious, but he wasn't like afraid of him. He's not afraid of much of anything. But it literally comes out of nowhere, and he's sitting here thinking, "What? Wait, what?" Had things gone differently, I think he could have gotten around it. Like, I think that he could have eventually come around to Karen's point of view, or at least they could have had an exchange. But because things went the way they went, mm-hmm. yeah. But but it's really, it's a complex situation because, again, I don't think Garrosh was afraid of him. No. But I think full well Garrosh knew that he had to be wary. Like, not just because Karen was a powerhouse, but because Karen was Karen. Like knowing who this figure is, knowing how important he is, having seen the Torin fight, and and as Joe pointed out, that the orcs like Garrosh viewed the Torin as more trustworthy than the tro- the trolls. Um, there was a lot going on there behind the surface, and and you could tell by the way Garrosh Garrosh didn't want the Makora, not because he was afraid to fight it, because he didn't want to kill him. And not only that, like he was, you could tell that Garrosh was pulling his punches during the Makora as well. Like he wasn't fighting with the same fury and intensity that he normally would, or that he would going into war, because he, like Matt said, he didn't want to kill Garrosh or uh, uh, Karen. Karen, yeah, yeah, sorry, Garrosh wanted to like settle, Win. settle, settle the 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 whole thing because the Magora wasn't necessarily always to the death; it was to defeat. Yeah. Whether it was you could, you could be beaten, it could even be first blood in as, some cases. Yeah, in some cases, Makoras have been first blood, and so this is why you see even when he lands the blow, he starts freaking out. Not because you know he landed the blow; he he landed exactly the blow he intended to, because he is a much more measured and trained fighter than Karen is. Yeah, and then when Karen starts succumbing to the poison that was put onto Garrosh's blade by. Uh, Magatha, yeah, he freaks out, not because, you know, he intended to kill him, but because of the treachery, because Magatha used him as a weapon to get at Cairn, because what would have been a flesh wound now felled his staunchest ally and now took the people who were the most trustworthy to the orcs and turned them against the orcs, because literally the leader of the orcs, the, the chosen leader of the horde at this point, just killed the leader of the torrent. And yeah, that's and, the way they and see a it. living legend amongst his people, because he's the one that got them to an actual place where they could stay mm-hmm. after generations. Like they've been wandering for generations and now they have a home. It's like, yeah, this was a, it, it was a giant mess because it would be, it would be really hard to screw up the orc Torin relationship. And Garrosh is sitting there going, and I, and I did the weight of this gets added to what are already hefty, hefty bags that weigh down his shoulders too. Yeah. Cause he was not ready for this job for a lot he of reasons. Yeah. He didn't want it in the first place. And there's that old saying, you know, you know, the person who doesn't want it may be perfect for it. And I, I get that. But in this particular case, Darish didn't want it because he was completely honest with thrall. When thrall said, you know, we're going to, you're going to do it. He goes, no, I'm, I'm, I am a soldier. 
I am, you know, you'd want something broken. Great. Tell me what it is and I'll break it. You want someone crushed? I will go crush them. You want me to spearhead? You want me to spearhead yeah. a, a, a battle plan? I will be your general. I will lead the. I will lead your armies into battle. I will go and fight as your champion. I will do anything you tell me to do. But you are telling me to tell everyone else what to do, and that's not me. I am not that person. And, and the- Thrall was like, you know, you'll you'll get it, you'll get it, and he wouldn't listen. And it's like I think Karen recognized what Garage was saying. Yeah, Karen, Karen recognized that Garash wasn't the guy. Not that he was a bad person. Not that he was like evil. He just was not the right person for this task. Well, there's also a lot of hurt and a lot of of, of baggage that came along with Garash as well. Because let's let's think about his past, right? Who is his father? Oh, you want me to actually say yeah, Hellscream? Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it was Crom Hellscream. Sorry. I'm Ro- going. Yeah, I'm waiting for the next bit, and you just stop saying, it. like, oh, <laughs> no, that's one of those times I'm supposed to respond. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah, no, it's Grom. Sorry. So you have Grom Hellscream, who is a mythical Titanic figure in the orc storytelling, right? He's a hero and sacrificed himself to free the orc people, right? He He did a lot. So now he has to live under the shadow of a father who he never really got to know, uh, carrying the name that... You know, every orc that sees him is going to immediately associate with his father and feeling like he has to constantly live up to whatever that sort of uh, bar is. He has to match that bar, if not surpass it. And the first time we see him, all he knows about his father is that his father was the first one to drink the demon blood. Mm -hmm. He damned his people and saved his people. But he only knew the, the damned part. So the first time you meet Garrosh, he's like a petulant, whiny entitled kid because he's lived his entire life with like people thinking he's going to break thinking that he's going to lead them even worse. You know, he's always feeling like he's being compared to his father and his father was the destroyer. His father was the person who ended their way of life. And he doesn't know about the stuff that, that, that Grom did after he doesn't know about what Grom did after he drank the blood because you know, it's, it's true. Grom was the first one to drink the blood, but it's not like he was the only one there. You know, it's not like he was the only orc who drank it. He was just mm-hmm. the first one to do so. Um, if it wasn't him, it would have been somebody else. They were all there, and only the only person who refused to drink it was Duraton. Well, I mean, and his and his clan, you know, but they were the only ones who didn't drink. Everybody else was like, "Yeah, go who?" You know, and they knew where it was coming from. They, you know, not like the demon hid it from him. He just straight up took out, took out a vein. So yeah, it, it's one of those situations where Garrosh had to grow up thinking, you know, I am the son of like the worst person who's ever lived. And then suddenly, like, this orc he's never really heard of comes back and, like, you know, yeah, I'm the son of Duraton and Draka. Yeah, like, really? I thought they both died. Well, yeah, they did, but they had me first. And he's just, he's, like, you know, a celebrity. He's leader of this new horde. And he suddenly starts telling you all about how great your dad was. And so now you're, like, kind of doing a 180 in your head. Like, you know, now suddenly you're trying to live up to him even harder. Like, now it's not, I don't, I have to live it down. I have to come up with a way to get past what my father did and be my own man. Now it's like, now I have to be like that, but more, I have to to, to like save my people. I have to do something just as big for my people. And you see that in the short story that comes out, I think before cataclysm. Yes. Um, The Gorgona one. I think you you see it really clearly that he wants to save his people. He just doesn't know them. And there's another layer on top of that as well, too, because now think about who finds him and who tells him about all this. It's Thrall, right? And who is Thrall at this point? Thrall is the savior 
of the current orcs in the horde. He is the one that helped them find a way through uh, what happened during the scourge. Uh, you know, the second coming and all that in the third war. He's the one that was there at Mount Hyjal fighting against Archimonde. He He's lived another titanic adventurous life and in his own right, whether you, regardless of how you feel about Thrall, he is a mythical figure that walks Azeroth. And here you are, Garrosh, being taken under his wing, being taken under the wing of one of the greatest champions to ever exist on Azeroth, who has the love and admiration of the orcs, the Torin, the trolls. He's even able to, you know, at this point, seemingly get Sylvanas under his wing. Like he has a position of honor and respect and all those stories with it. So now he's basically living in that shadow as well. So what do you think happens when Thrall says, you're going to be in charge. I've handpicked you. You're going to take care of this. I'm going to go pig farm now. And Garrosh is telling him, I'm not ready. I can't do this. This is not who I am. I will be your general. I, I, but I, I can't lead these people. And for all the reasons that Matt said too, he doesn't really know his people. You know, his, his people look at him with that name and that's what they see. And that's why during uh, the Northrend campaign in particular, he's trying so hard to be like a consummate. And I mean, absolutely consummate, wager of war he's trying to lose the least amount of bodies uh possible with the greatest amount of success he's trying to fight with the veracity that he needs in order to accomplish the campaign uh and live up to both statuses the being his father's son and being worthy of being the the protege of thrall and then thrall leaves gives him no support structure tells him you'll be fine kid i'm gonna go have kids now bounces leaves the management of the entire horde on his shoulders, leaves the delegation of all relations between the horde and the alliance to him. Yeah, that's a lot. That is a whole lot. Then add to that the Magora, add to that the death of Cairn, add to that the the what he feels are consistent failures, and it's just more and more weight just beating him down. You were saying something, Matt. Oh, just, I was like, one of the things that I always thought was interesting that people don't don't seem to know as much either is that Thrall looks at the situation in Durotar, the situation in Orgrimmar when he arrives, as an outsider. Mm-hmm. He wasn't there for any of it. He didn't make any of the decisions. He just he's come in and now he's he's being expected to take over. And he looks at it and he's like, "Why do we live in the crappiest place to live on this entire continent? Literally any other place." would have been better than this. The only reason we're living here is because nobody else wanted to live here. Like we could have gone into the, the Barrens is better than Durotar. We could have just gone wholesale into the Baron that that would have been better. And we're certainly there now. So uh, why the heck didn't we just go? Why are we living in this? And he doesn't understand that part of it is Thrall's plan to like create a like situation where the, the races that are native to Azeroth see the orcs actually paying a kind of penance for their invasion. He hasn't, first of all, Thrall didn't explain that to him. Secondly, it, he wouldn't care if he did. Why should, you know, he didn't do anything to, to force the uh, Alliance to be upset. You know, it's not like he, you know, made anyone drink any demon blood or anything like that. Why should he be forced to live in a, in a crap hole? Why should the children of the people that did that be forced to live there? So that is, and that comes out of like his interaction with actual like orcs, who are not like, you know, 
thrall level. Like, uh, I forget the two sisters' names. I know one's Gorgana, but I can never remember the other one. Krenna. Gorgana and Krenna, who we'll see later in, in Wrath of the Lich King, uh, they, they end up, one of them ends up dying at the hands of the other because they, they have a dispute over leadership. But he runs into them, and one of the two sisters, I think it's uh, Gorgana, actually, but I'm not sure, uh, basically just straight up says, you know, this we live in hell. Why? why what do you expect? There's no, we're, we're trying to farm on this. Like, we can barely grow pigs. Uh, I don't, you know, pigs will eat anything and we can barely keep them going uh, in terms of crops. Like, you know, a whole lot of succulents, that ain't much. And, and that really hit garage. Like to him, if you're entrusting me to lead the horde, I, the horde is what I care about. The, I don't care what happens to those people on the other side. I care about what happens to these people. Like if there's building material over there, I don't care if those woods are sacred to those people. Those trees could be giving my people shelter. Those The ground is fertile. It could be giving my people crops. They're not doing anything with it, and they haven't done anything with it for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what do I care? Oh, and they're mad that my dad did the same thing. Well, my dad did the same thing. He was probably right. Apparently, he was really great. So, yeah, there's like this layering of all this stuff. One thing up top, and you can actually watch it. Like, one thing goes on the top of another. Like he isn't initially in in Wrath of the Lich King. He's not initially like that Machiavellian. No, but he gets a he gets a taste for plans that come out of nowhere. He likes to surprise his enemy, and that's logical. It's logical that he does that because when they were in Northrend, they were fighting a force that they could not defeat conventionally. They would never be able to beat the Scourge, you know, through wars of attrition. Um, one of my military history teachers, when I was taking a lot of that back in college, made the point that you know, Ulysses S. Grant and you know, did not have the tactical genius of his his technically underling. I mean, Sherman was like both the generals, but Sherman was under him. Sherman was a tactical genius. Yep. Sherman could could outmaneuver and outthink the enemy. Sherman did not have that. He didn't need it because he always had numerical superiority. He could just grind his enemies down. We could have it protracted sieges where people die like in Petersburg and it wouldn't matter because they could, they had the numbers to do it. The scourge had the numbers to do it. It didn't matter if the horde and Alliance had smart generals, the horde could, could just keep throwing people at the scourge and the scourge would just sometimes just raise the people that died fighting. Them. So he had to come up with ways around it. He had to come up with strategies. And he liked doing that because it meant, as Joe pointed out earlier, the less of his people that died, the better he liked it. And his plans were never just, I want power, I want to kill things. It's like, how many people am I going to lose yeah. for this? Yeah, well, he, he understood more than I think a lot of the other heroes the cost of life in war. And I'm not saying that to minimize their, their sacrifices or what they've done. No, because they have a different priority. They have a different priority, but like, let's like when they're engaging their, their armies into one another, like Thrall is not really a general, right? He's really not. He's a figurehead. He's, he needed people like Garrosh to be his generals, to help him get to where he needed to go with, with any sort of uh, organized force. Sylvanas, on the other hand, is a tactical genius. She didn't need any of that uh, sort of figurehead status. She didn't need to rely on anybody else, just like Matt was talking about with uh, the real world, uh, you know, Sherman and Grant. Yeah. Now, let's flip on that a little bit. Let's build off of where that is, because now we know that he sort of fell to the sin of pride, or at least 
kind of. But pride is also a very complicated thing. Um, whether you want to talk about real-world philosophy or just in terms of what it means in-game, pride is often thought of, at least in the real world, to be the father or, or mother or root of all all sin, because all things stem from pride. Uh, and this is not to be confused with pride, which also is your self-affirmation and feeling validation in your work or your accomplishments and having pride in what you've wrought. The thing is, is that it can be both of those things. And as Garrosh finishes a campaign in Northrend and feels that pride swell within him and feels that he's accomplished something and continues on this path, it is a very easy slope to slip down, especially when all the weight of everything around you keeps pushing you and pushing you and pushing you. Because yeah. at, the, at the end, the decisions he's making aren't because he's an awful evil person but it's because he's an insecure child at his deep core he's he's somebody who grew up on a broken shattered world with scattered people hearing stories about how his father originally or initially was awful then meeting thrall another titanic hero who propped him up told him how his father was amazing and saved the orc people took him into the horde brought him into the the as a general took him to what was one of the most brutal campaigns to ever happen since the third war because again going to northrend was a slog yeah it how was many- literally just as bad as i would say it was just as bad as the fourth war or the war of thorns or whatever you want to call it yeah northrend was Northrend was a campaign where people died in droves. Look at, look at the Wrathgate, just the yeah. Wrathgate, right? What we saw is a, a small portion of it, because you got to think of it, too, in terms of this. When we're talking about what happens in uh, terms of cinematics versus, like, the actual scale of it, and we've heard, we've heard talk about this from other folks, is always what we see is an order of magnitude smaller than what the actual numbers reflect, right? So you see all those people die at the Wrathgate. It's actually larger than that. We're just zooming in on a small portion of it. And plus there's all the people who died just getting you to the wrath. Yes. Yeah. And, and everybody who's died to starvation or everybody who's died on the ships that didn't make it across the way. Anybody yeah. who died, uh, you know, from infection or disease or anything else that couldn't be treated, which is uh, the scourge has got tons of that. that yep. throwing around. And then they have to, you have to like burn the bodies or, they all get up and now they're fighting on the other side. So you're, and meanwhile, he's also got all these other dead people. Cause Northrend has been a history of K of, of, you know, it's just, it really is an absolute nightmare of a war. And what's really amazing about it too, is the people that would have been an amazing support system for, for him couldn't be there. Like one of them, because he died, uh, get, you know, uh, Sorfang the younger died. And he was actually, if not in the running, to be Thrall's replacement was certainly being considered for a role like high up in the horde. And he would have basically been a great, I won't want to say foil, but he would have been a great other person there. If Garash, Garash I could see Garash and him working together really well because Garash would have been the pragmatist who's like, you know, here is the straightforward way to do what we want. Mm-hmm. And Starfang the Young would have been okay. You know, you're what you're that's what you just said is true, but what you're not seeing is that if we do this and this, we can achieve it and make some allies, which we can then use going forward. Not that Sorfang the Younger was like soft or anything, but he could he knew how to work with people who would work with him. Like the fact that he and Bolvar made a friendship is pretty amazing, uh, because Bolvar had very good reason to not want to be buddies with orcs. Uh, look up Mara Fordragon sometime, 
and yet still managed it. So he died. And that's bad because now you've lost that, you know, kind of the yin to Garrosh's yang sort of thing. Then you lose his father, mm-hmm. uh, Varrock Sorfan, who is the one who gave Garrosh a check that actually he respected, who was like, you know, you know, if I think you're going down that path, I'll kill you myself. And you could tell, like, he wasn't afraid, but he was like impressed because, you know, it was rare that people would just come forward and say to him straight up, look, I knew your father. And if you go that way, I'm going to off you. And he, he had just asked him, you know, how have you lived so long with all these well, memories that you have, all this, these things you've done. And th- while it's a joke, the, uh, you know, I don't eat pork speech at the same time, it's, it's a real question. Garrosh wants to know he's actually, he's not concerned. Cause that sounds again, like he's only asking, you know, cause he's self-interested. It's not that it's just, it is a completely different world that he is than the one he lived in. You know, he, he grew up in a world created by the people who did the things that Varrock did. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, and that's important too. It's, he was going around trying to figure out what it is to even be an orc. And and that's the thing. The entire generation has been trying to figure that out. Yeah. And it means means something different now than it did back on, on Draenor. Right. Mm -hmm. But let's, let's go through, let's kind of speed through this so we can, I don't want to say speed through this, but let's. Let's go through and, and just kind of put a, a marker on this. So you have year 28, the War of the Against the Lich King, uh, Garrosh's triumphant soldiers return to Orgrimmar, massive parade, and he states that the orcs are in the heart of the soul of the Horde because legitimately they did a lot of the ground fighting, especially after what happened with uh, the plague bomb and everything else like that. Uh, year 28 is also where Garrosh is appointed war chief of the Horde. This is where Karen strikes him. The Magora happens. Uh, he barely wins, but that's because of the poison. He finds out later because Etrig tells him Garrosh loses his mind because it was essentially uh, a bloody coup being taken over Thunder Bluff with that being the catalyst. So now his honor has been permanently sullied and the horde has been irreparably damaged. Uh, you have year 29 where Garrosh destroys Theramore with the mana bomb. Vulgin and Bane both tell him that they will draw support if it ever happens, anything even remotely close to that happens again. But Garrosh doesn't care at this point because after everything that's happened so far, he's sort of focused purely on the fact that the orcs are going to be the the heart of the horde because they won't turn their back on him like everybody else will. He'll live up to that dream or that, that ideal of his father and thrall one way or another. Uh, in year 30, he learns about the power of the Shah. So now you have a person who is being threatened with all, like, basically anything from the Horde that isn't orc withdrawing, leaving his people vulnerable, potentially, and on the chopping block for anything that decides to sweep through Kalondor, or if the Alliance decides to, you know, go to war again, possibly be on his own. So now he wants to capture the power of the shot and harness it. Here's where that problem starts in because he's already got all that weight on him. He's already got all of those bits of pride that he's trying to live up to. And such an easy push, such an easy push for a Shah, an entity that can't truly die to just be push him ever so slightly down that ramp, down that hill. So him falling is a combination of all of this. It's all of this. It's and at the end, like look at the look at the duel between him and Thrall, where Garrosh finally dies. And and Matt, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. Like, well, I, there's the one exchange. thing I want to mention before that. Go ahead. Um, 
it's also interesting that it's after he gets the ultimatum from uh, Vol'jin and Bane that or he goes into like full on orc supremacy. Yes, mode. because it's the only ones up, he can rely on. He get, becomes very insular. Up, up to that point, he had been like Joe had mentioned. He'd respected the Torrent. He'd seen them fight. He knew that they were good soldiers and and good hunters and trackers, and he respected them. And he respected Cairn. He never respected Vol'jin. And you know, like if you ever like see the you see if you see the confrontation between Vol'jin and and Garrosh, you'll know why he never respected him. He never respected him because the trolls don't fight the way orcs do. No, because and Vol'jin was a shadow hunter. He he fought from the shadows of guerrilla warfare. Yeah, and that's not honorable. That's not valorous. It's not. It's it's ironic that I I of all the people, I, a lot of Alliance paladins would understand Garrosh's argument because it's it's that kind of you know that's sneaky. Orcs aren't sneaky. We just run up on you. Now, of course, he's ignoring. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. All the various ways orcs are, are in fact sneaky, but regardless. It's interesting because when you talk about the, the final fight between Garrosh and Thrall, you, you, you're looking at the legacy not just of the stuff that we've talked about, but of decisions like, well, the Dragon Maw. We'll bring the Dragon Maw back. We'll, we'll let them join us. Be, not because, because, just because they're orcs. Yep, and that's all, it. They, and, and they still have to prove themselves to it. He's not, at no point is Garrosh Hellscream stupid. That's the thing I really want to bring into that. He's, sometimes he's deluded, sometimes he's mistaken, but he's never stupid. This is not a guy who doesn't think. This is, in fact, a, an orc who thinks a lot. There's a lot going on in his head. But he builds his worldview based on things he's experienced and seen. A lot of the stuff we've talked about, some stuff we haven't. When he goes up against Thrall, after after everything is shaken out, after Thrall has come to Orgrimmar to try and stop Garrosh while he's using the power of the Shah, all of that, after Garrosh is arrested by because Anduin, I mean, Varian Rin, basically you know defies what he's being advised to do and instead of attacking the horde he's like no you don't get to kill him he gets to be tried you know you're going to let him go back to pandaria and he's going to get tried by the people who he hurt the most so he goes and there's the whole trial at the temple of the white tiger he gets away thanks to um kairos there and all of that leads to warlords of draenor us going through the portal to the alternate draenor and the two of them finally like fighting in the fields of, of uh, Nagrand. And the whole fight back and forth between the two of them, there's one thing that Garrosh says that has always stuck with me. And, and it's really a fundamental aspect of their relationship is that Thrall is like trying to bring 
Garrosh to heal at this point. He's not trying to convert him. He's not trying to talk him down anymore. He's just trying to straight up smack him down. And in the middle of that fight, Garrosh is winning. Mm -hmm. And not only is Garrosh winning, Garrosh is winning because he says the things he's saying are getting to Thrall. And yeah, the so one let's, thing that really gets to him, go ahead. You, you want to do it? Go ahead. Yeah. Like there's a lot of stuff here. Like let's, let's go through some of these quotes. Cause I think they're, they're powerful, right? Uh, Thrall tells him that it's not too late. Garrosh lay down the mantle of war chief. We can end this here now with no more bloodshed. Garrosh. Ha. Do you remember nothing of honor of glory on the battlefield? You who would parlay with the humans who allowed warlocks to practice their dark magics right under our feet. You are weak. We are the orcish horde, the true horde. We die bloody and thrashing on the field of battle like true orcs should. You are an orc no longer and speak for none but yourself. You betrayed our people to forge your fragile alliances, and I will take great pleasure in tearing them apart. Then you have forced my hand, Thrall says. I will correct the mistake I made so long ago. Spirits of wind, earth, water, hear my call, come to my aid. Calls the elements, but there's an element of the dark void behind him, because this is not what the elements want to do. Garrosh, fool, my dark shaman have twisted and tortured the elements for miles around. They cannot hear you now. Once again, you prove too weak and powerless to do anything. And then Thrall says, never powerless, Garrosh, and never alone. So you wish to face off against a real orc warrior, so be it. And then they clash. These are things so that, that was are, that was in the uh, siege of Orgrimmar. That was the siege of Orgrimmar. And that's the part where Thrall basically was still trying to reason with him. Uh, when he goes to to, to Outland, the, not Outland, uh, the the other Draenor. I always have a hard time with this. Warlords of Draenor. Yeah, when he goes into Warlords of Draenor, that confrontation is not the same because no. he's not trying to talk him down. He's not trying to convince him that he's right. And for that matter, Garrosh isn't hopped up on Shah Juice. No, he's just Garrosh again. And the thing that he says that always comes to my mind. You failed is, me. Yeah, you made me. You failed me. You know, and it's like everything I am is because of you. Yeah, the you left me to pick up your pieces. Yeah, it's I think that is the reason that Thrall took the action he took, which is to kill Garrosh. Um, I think he was pushed past his ability to control himself because people forget that Thrall is an orc. Mm hmm. You know, he does, he does a lot of that whole, you know, it's kind of like Worf in Star Trek where every so often Worf reminds you, oh no, I am a Klingon in case you had forgotten, uh, you know, I, the guy killed my girlfriend. I'm going to straight up murder him. I don't care what you, what your Federation rules are about this. I am going to go kill him now. Thank you. Um, oh, the chancellor of the Klingon empire is being a jerk to my friend. Well, then I'm going to challenge him to a fight to the death. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what this was like. It's thrall snaps. And he forces the elements to strike. Like they've been fighting this entire Magora without the elements. Like Thrall did not use the elements up until that point. And that, you know, it's technically not forbidden. It's not against the rules. The Magora has very few rules for what you can do in it. It's just disheartening. And it's not what the elements wanted. And Thrall didn't get them on board. He just made them do it which is a big no-no. That's dark shamanism. Yeah. The part where you force the elementals to do what you want, that's dark shamanism. That's yep. bad. And Thrall did it. That's one of the reasons that in, in uh, Legion, Thrall isn't capable of helping. Because the elements are not like, like, no, 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 buddy. You don't get to do that, and then we just come around like you didn't. So yeah, that there's... Garrosh, Garrosh wasn't right. I, know, I never want to say that. I don't want people to think that I think Garrosh was right, or that, you know... Everything he did was good. A lot of what he did was horrible. Oh, Going yeah, up Theramore was horrible. Mm -hmm. It's because of the way his mind worked. 
It's like why I said he's much more complex than Arthas. Arthas would never have thought of doing something to like deliberately attempting to get like his people, his enemies to send more of their most powerful forces to this spot. So you can blow them all up in one go. It's, it's strategically a good move. It, it, it's risky because Theramore is right there. It's very close to Orgrimmar. It is tactically, if you're looking at it purely as a tactician, it's very risky. But if you're looking at it as a strategist, if you can get them all there, and then use this new weapon on them. They'll be like, you know, beheaded. They're like all their military leaders are going to be gone. Chandra's Feathermoon will be dead. Uh, like the head of the alliance at the time. I forget what the the, the the chief alliance dude was at the time, but he was been there. You know, Jaina was been there. There would just been like a lot of dead people. If he got really lucky, maybe Varian would. Varian likes to fight. He'd already fought Varian once. He knows Varian likes to fight. He knows Varian's a very good fighter, and he knows what to do with good fighters like this is the, f- the the mana bomb technique that's the moment where you see that garrosh had tactic he had not just tactics but strategy he was not he was not a brute that's the problem he was a thinking orc and he only as as the pressure increased on him to succeed he started redefining what success meant because he didn't have like he could not abide failure if he failed it would be like you know, he was, he was handed a, a, a lifeline. He was handed a rope saying, you know, all that stuff you believe about yourself, that you're weak, that you're bad, that you're going to doom your people just like your father did. Your father died saving us. Here, here is this lifeline. Now think about what it's going to feel like when I eventually rip it away from you. Like, that's the thing he didn't want to lose. Yeah. All that to say, it wasn't a slow descent and it wasn't... It was not an Arthurization. It was not an Arthurization, right? He didn't just grab Frostmourne and then immediately start making terrible life choices or making terrible life choices before that, like with the second of Strathome. Uh, you know, he he actively tried to find every way he could originally to do the things he wanted, and when they failed, did what he had. He felt he had no other choice but to do. And yeah. again, I'm not going to say that anything he did was right. I'm not just like, I wouldn't say that like burning of Teldrassil was, was right for Sylvanas to do. Cause it was very clearly not, uh, the blowing up of Theramore was very like clearly a horrible thing. One in which we actually go through when we're doing stuff with Chromie again, we go back in time, uh, and, and do a few things with that. And if you haven't done those quests, I highly recommend following the campaign. Um, he's a very complicated character. And even when we get to him, in Shadowlands and we find out that he is essentially an ultimate battery because his pride is so strong that he will not yield. He he truly believes he did nothing wrong and believes that he did what he had to do to ensure the survival of his people but also to, you know, live up to the legends that he has constantly been in the shadow of. So, yeah, it's it's Garrosh is more complicated than Arthas by a good long chunk of, of country mile there. So, but I think that, or at least I hope that answers your question, Arcadus. Uh, that is quite a bit <laughs> uh, of Garrosh and maybe we'll revisit it in a future episode, but we're going to move on for now. This one comes squash squash. Let, this one comes from Octomos. Uh, and there are some mild 10.2 spoilers here. Uh, just real quick the, for the raid tier that's coming up. So if you've listened to our Garrosh, uh, you know, storyline here uh, and you need to dip out, we understand that. Garrosh comes back. (laughs) 
Uh, with the Fire Lord being a raid boss in 10.2, Throne of the Tides in the Mythic Plus Pool, the Naga talking about a harbinger and ascension of some kind in the Forbidden Reach text, Aberus seeming to hint at another old god, and a Ritochron using the Void, do you think we are diving headfirst into a Void Old God expansion where the Elemental Lords are already shackled again while the Primalists serve as a distraction to Shaman now? Maybe. Um... <laughs> It's complicated. Matt and I, and you can go back and check the tapes on this one, and uh, I, I'm pretty sure uh, was, uh, Talison and Evatel have, have also marked us for this one. We mentioned that the Elemental Lords were going to start popping up at, at, before this expansion ever happened. The minute we knew that the Primalists were Elemental-tinged or aligned, there had to be something with them, because where are they getting their power from? Where did they get their power from? Uh, they didn't just wake up with it one day. They definitely are infusing it. They're doing the things that we know and have seen elemental Lords, particularly the Lord of fire do multiple times, uh, especially with those whole druids of the flame. Gotta love that. Uh, we've seen all this sort of before, and this is almost, I want to say a repeating cycle, but this is maybe insight into all of that got set in motion in the first place. I don't know if we're going into a full, void old god expansion after this void is very clearly going to spend or be an important part of it you have the cinematic in the new mega dungeon uh which at the time of this recording should be getting prepped for heroic i believe if not it's already live as a heroic um i can't remember if it was 10.1.7 or 10.2 that it's doing that um, i think it's 10.2 because it's 10.2 that's when the new mythic uh, rotation season. Comes that's out. right. Yeah. So, but, uh, but you know, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, guys. I've been playing a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> uh, that that dungeon gives you uh, a cinematic where, yeah, Eridicron goes back in time, makes a deal with the Infinite Dragonflight to go and seal the Void Essence out of Galakrond after Galakrond has been defeated, and then makes off through a portal, a Void portal that gets ripped open in, in space and time. Uh, by Zalatath, because it is the very clearly a Zalatath silhouette, hairstyle and all, waiting on the other side of it. Zalatath, quote unquote, served Nazoth. Maybe was a part of Nazoth. There's yeah, clearly didn't hold Nazoth in particularly high regard or oh. respect. But there's there's a relationship there because it's Nazoth that freed Zalatath from the blade. And we know that Zalatath became a sentient being of its own sort of intellect and its own desires while it was created uh, and as it existed through the eons. So this is just more progress past it, right? So is Void going to play a central role in what's coming up next? Yes. Will the old gods play a role in that? Yes. Matt and I talked about how Nazoth isn't dead because we messed up because that's what we always do uh, because we're big heroes and we start doing things without thinking about the consequences of them. Uh, and I'll shut up and let Matt talk in a minute, but this just brings me back to the whole point where we went back through the time ways to go feel free Chromie uh, and stop that fight and, and get her get her back. And uh, we went to the Black Empire where uh, we were in Nihilatha, where all the Elemental Lords were fighting, except for, I think, uh, Neptalon wasn't there. And Nazoth looks at us, sees us, knows us. We alter the timeline or make it whole again, I can't tell which, simply by doing this, which makes yeah. me think that Nazoth ain't dead. Not no, not even close. We we messed up. And I'm going to shut up and let Matt talk a little bit now. Well, I mean, since we're talking about this, it's, there's two possibilities. One is that we live in a fixed loop where 
Chromie always went back in time and we always went after Chromie and we always were subplotted by Nizoth. And so everything that happened to us in previous expansions dealing with the old gods was all part of it to get us back in that point where Nazoth noticed us. The reason Nazoth dealt with us in the first place was because he remembered us from that. That's the reason that your character got an eyeball hat and my character didn't because my character didn't do this quest because there's no way I was putting an eyeball hat on. Um, I'm still clean, uh, but you guys are all going to die. Uh, but regardless, you know, that was all either, either that was all part of it. And we've always been in this loop and there's a lot of stuff going like a lot of lore things, a lot of the whispers of Ilganoth. Somebody's screaming, this about, is a canon event. You know, lots of stuff that talks about cycles and the cycle being broken. And th- this might very well be part of the cycle. Like the cycle might've been caused by us. And so therefore it may have always have happened. So we may have always been living in a universe where Chromie went back in time and created this loop in the first place. Mm-hmm. Or we may have been living in a universe where that didn't happen until Chromie did go back and now we're shunted onto a universe where Chromie went back and everything has slightly changed. We've seen both of those things happen in world of Warcraft. So it's impossible for us to tell you which one it is. It could be either, you know, uh, timely timelines and so forth. We've done whole episodes on this. I'm not going to even try right now because we just don't have time, but I will say this much. <clears throat> that doesn't mean the next expansion is going to be, you know, the, the, the void lords are here or the old gods are back. It means that that's a thread that could be running through the next three expansions. Mm-hmm. We have no idea right now where this is going. We know that in 10.2, we're going to be going to the Emerald Dream and the Emerald Dream is under attack by the forces of the Firelands, including the, the, the Fire Lord that Joe put in charge, Joe. Hey, listen. It seemed like a good idea at the time because he was better than Ragnaros. I'm sorry. I'm just pointing out that you had, you, it's another one of those cases of you not thinking. Yeah, 100%. And you having a better storyline than we did. Warriors had a terrible storyline. Hey, don't blame me. I voted for Baylock. But regardless, um, I I have been of the opinion for a long time now that a lot of this is setting up uh, the return of the, the Elemental Lords that we all remember. The OG ones, the four, the yeah. four originals. Uh. I think F- Ragnaros and Alakir are coming back. 100%. And I think that they're part of part of all of this is to get that to happen. I think Smolderon would be absolutely fine with Ragnaros being back and in charge. Smolderon didn't really want to be Fire Lord anyway. Nope. Just kind of accepted it because the option was, as you pointed out, Balorok. And Balorok was like, you know, so old that even Ragnaros thought he was too old. So yeah. So Smolderon took the gig, but I don't think he felt particularly grateful to the uh, Earth and Ring for their their efforts in that regard. I think he felt kind of forced into it. He felt like the, the the mortal beings were meddling, and we've already talked about how the Elemental Lords have a lot of good reason to be mad at the Titans and their creations. Um, because instead of freeing whole- them from the and let, let's just recap that part real quick. Yeah. Because instead of freeing them from the rule of the Void Lords, they imprisoned them. They could have yeah. set them free. They could have said, hey, you're free entities now. Go about your business. Uh, you know, just try not to destroy the world while you're at it. But no, because they wanted to cultivate the the nascent Titan in the way that they wanted. They imprisoned them. They removed them so that they could not keep feeding on the spirit as freely as they were because there's an element of them still continuing to do that because of the way that the elemental prisons were designed, but that's a whole, we've done an entire episode on that. Um, So basically like one of the things to think about is imagine this from their perspective. They used to just, Azeroth was just theirs. It was their world and everything on it was the way 
that that they were used to it being. It was the it was the, the way they lived. And that's, you know, they fought each other because there wasn't enough spirit energy to go around because the planet was eating most of it, but they didn't really care. They, they liked fighting each other and the world was the way it was. The Black Empire shows up and subjugates them, uh, turns them into basically wind up monkey, uses them to subdue the planet, or at least as much of it as they ended up subduing. We have no idea if they subdued other continents for them or if there are other continents, whatever. That happens. Then the, the Titans show up. And they create their Titan Forged, and their Titan Forged fight the Elemental Lords and 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 beat them and get them out of the way, and then they go off and fight the uh, the old gods and beat them and imprison them. And now you're in a spot where do they say you're welcome and leave? No, no, they don't. They then take the world that was already taken from the Elementals once and take it again. Now they took it. Mm-hmm. it they don't free the elemental lords. They they make them even worse prisoners because while the old gods were controlling them, they didn't imprison them. They just used them to fight each other because they, they you know they basically made them do what they were doing anyway before the the old gods even got there because they thought it was fun. They liked it. They liked watching it. They thought it was great. They just wanted it to be on their terms. Now that's not good. Nobody wants you know. I don't want to be somebody's gladiatorial slave, but I also don't want to be locked up forever. And that's exactly what the people who came and kicked the old gods did. The Titans locked them up Mm -hmm. and the beings that were aligned to them. The Titans stole dragons are elemental beings. Dragons are full of elemental power. We see it in everything they do. And the proto dragons, the, the Drakes, whatever you want to call them, they were as close to elementals as anything on Azeroth that was still considered part of Azeroth. And the Titans stole them. Now, you could argue the Titans gave them things. Like, there's a reason that the dragons went for it. But it's still, if you look at it from those perspectives, if you look at it that way, the Titans are nothing but grabby hand thieves who come along and and try to impose order. Like, their order. Like, it's not like the elementals don't have an order. It's just a different order. And the t- the Titans were not, there was no discussion. There was no, hey, look, this planet is one of us and we'd really like it if you guys would chill out and and stop messing it up because it needs to, to come to life. So yeah, you really need to stop. They, there was no discussion. There was no exchange. The, the Titans had already beaten them, so they just locked them up. And to be fair, in when we did the Elemental campaign or the Shaman campaign with the Elementals, the only one we ever had that discussion with was Neptalon. Like we literally, that was part of our, our thing was like, look, you're, if anything happens to Azeroth, y'all are boned. Like this is where you keep your stuff and we don't want it to blow up. You don't want it to blow up. Maybe we find a middle ground and Neptalon agreed. Uh, not the other ones. The other ones, we sort of beat them into doing it. Like literally with Smolderon. Yeah. We forced th- him into uh, it. Thunderon didn't really have a choice. It no, wasn't even like, I think it was mostly threats, right? It was almost entirely threats. Yeah. Cause th- th- what is Thunderon going to do? Therizane, Therizane is the next logical, like most logical of them because she just hates yeah. everybody. She hates everybody because her daughter was murdered. Um, but her daughter wasn't murdered by anything particularly Titanic. Her daughter was or murdered in, by an Emerald Dream thing. Yes, but well, was by well, a wa- she was murdered because she was yeah. in love with somebody from the Emerald Dream. I'm sorry, I shouldn't. He didn't kill her. The Emerald Dream, which is also potentially a, we 
We think it might be more naturally occurring than it is, but it could also yeah. be a Titan construct based off of some other cues. Like it's been told as both things. I think the Emerald Dream is basically the form of the Emerald Dream has been as colonized by the old gods. Yeah. I mean, by the Titans as Azeroth itself. Has. Um, and I'm using that colonized thing on purpose because that's what the narrative of this expansion is about. It's about what does it look like from the perspective of the beings that had it done to them. We're seeing dragon history from the perspective of the dragons that had it done to them. And it's it's an interesting thing to see. Uh, so yeah, there's absolutely like a lot of pent-up rage by the elementals. And and for them, for the Titanforged aren't necessarily ha- totally happy about it either. I bet you Odin is absolutely not on board with negotiating with any elementals. Because mm-hmm. they melted his face. And it's been melted forever. That thing you see that everyone thinks is a beard it's is not. actually his face melting yeah. forever. Imagine if your beard was made out of your own face melting off constantly. Yeah. No, Ragnarok thank you. Did that to him. So, yeah, I'm sure he's totally on board talking to the elementals about things. I bet you that there was a lot of that when, when it was time to decide what happened to the elementals. There was a lot of argument from Odin that we should just kill him. Just destroy them. Well, that will hurt the planet. Fine. Lock them up then. You know what I mean? If you're an orc right now and you're going, wow, I feel like this is, reminds me of something. Yeah, I, I think that that there's. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's it's going to be interesting, right? And, and I for the first time, I don't know exactly where the next expansion is going to be. We're, we're getting to that point of this expansion's life cycle where uh, we're going to start finding out very, very soon, right? It's going to be be put on, in place or at least uh, acknowledged to us relatively. But let's put it this way. It's September. Yeah. In two months, less than two months, uh, there's going to be a big party in Anaheim and they're going to reveal some things. Uh, the future of World of Warcraft is almost certainly going to be at least mentioned. If they, mm-hmm. if they don't, they're almost certainly going to have whatever patch beyond 10.2 is, is going to have something. If there's a 10.3, we'll find out about it then. I'm, I'm positive there's something beyond 10.2. 10.2 does not sound like it even comes close to wrapping up this story. So I am positive we'll get at least one more. Um, but we're also going to hear, if nothing else, we will get a teaser about the next mansion. Like, I, I cannot believe they won't even do that. Like, there's no way I can believe that we won't hear a title uh, something. Because it's going to be coming out sooner than you think. Yeah. You know, you know, so until we get that, I'm comfortable saying that I don't think it's going to be all about the old gods. I think the old gods and the threat of the old gods is going to be something that carries forward. But I also think that, that Shadowlands... I think Joe's the one who said this to me first and I've stolen it from him. So if that's the case, Joe, I apologize. Um, But Joe once pointed out that Shadowlands was the expansion that tried to add more things, not just resolve them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things we saw in Shadowlands are starting to like play out like the threat that isn't the void, the threat that comes from beyond existence. Uh, I think a lot of that stuff is going to start coming up as we go forward. Yeah, I tend to agree, obviously, for, you know, (laughs) uh, obvious reasons here. But, like, it's, I think we're, the void is going to be a constant thread because, so, and here's something that I don't see anybody talking about either, which I think is interesting. We still have a lot of stuff unresolved with uh, the Locust Walker and the Void Elves. And, yeah, absolutely. And if Eridicron is stalking through the void now and making allies with void entities, who better to go after them than people who are literally void hunters? 
right? Like we we've heard almost nothing from them recently. We didn't hear anything through Shadowlands, uh, barely anything through BFA, um, and now here we are, where now they could start popping up. Now they maybe they start doing scouting missions and they start hearing say, whispers through I'm the void. I say in their defense that there actually was more stuff from the Alliance point of view with them. Like the a lot of the Alliance campaign, the Void Elves were a big part of. In this uh, one? In BFA. In BFA, yes. When you said it, like nothing yeah. in BFA. There was actually a bit more in BFA if you were playing Alliance. That is the problem with doing the divided narrative they did. Uh, you don't get to see a lot of the other stuff unless you like play both. And, uh, you know, and you have to play them a relatively fair amount. Because it's not, it's not like constantly happening. It's just that there's a few quests that the the Void Elves are very fundamental to. And for that matter, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff that happens. But they haven't been around for a while. And considering that, like, the Horde also currently has allies that are very good at dealing with the Void. Um, not only do they have the uh, Night Elves, uh, I mean, not Night Elves, the uh, Nightborn, mm-hmm. who are, you know, very adept at all kinds of magic. They've also got shadow hunters yeah like literal ones they've got trolls trolls are very good at shadow hunting so yeah i would i i hope that they do tie the, that stuff back in i just don't know if it's going to be in the next yeah probably gonna be a while all right but i think that's gonna do it for today uh friends i do want to thank you for sending in your questions uh if you have more questions for us be sure to send those into podcasts at blizzardwatch.com uh, or one of our various discord channels and as a reminder, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads free site experience. Uh, I do want to thank you for continuing to listen to us uh, and sending in your, your questions and topics. If we haven't gotten into them yet, don't worry. I have... Uh, literally a master file of all the ones we haven't touched yet. And I will slot them in as they fit the theme or uh, can be more cohesive as far as uh, questions go, or at least that's the goal, uh, but keep sending them in. We'll keep answering them. Anything else to add before we part dolphin smut. I am not sure why you said that, but that's a thing that has been said now. All right. Well then friends, we'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.